morning, everyone. Just make sure I'm on here. Yes, good morning. Uh, I, I know before we announced the, uh, the children being dismissed and the volunteers who are helping out, that was Mrs. Vaccaro who was helping out, not Mrs. LSO, <laughs> Ms. LSO. We just want to correct that very quickly. Yeah, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> good morning, everyone. Welcome. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team here at Mount Hope. It's great to be in worship with you today. If we have had a chance to meet before, you're probably looking at this screen up here and saying, finally, a sermon series this guy is qualified to preach. <laughs> today, we have an opportunity to look into our next sermon series, which is going to be about relationships. Over the course of these next few weeks as a church, we're going to dive into what it means to pursue a Christ-centered, gospel-centered relationship, whether that's a relationship with yourself, a relationship with God himself, a relationship with a spouse, a relationship with children, with your coworkers, your colleagues, your relationship with your neighbors. We're going to start to dive more and more into these things. And rather than just giving you some tips and tricks and best practices, we're going to look at these relationships through the lens of the gospel throughout these next couple of weeks. So we encourage you to be a part of that over these next few weeks. As Dan and Carmelina mentioned, we'll be in 1 Corinthians this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, you're welcome to. We'll have the verses on the screen in just a moment as well. You're welcome to do that. But I want to start by asking you this question. Are there things in your life that you thought were really wise but turned out to be pretty foolish when you look back? Things that were wise, decisions that were wise at the time, but in retrospect, look pretty foolish now. Maybe you woke up this morning and you were getting ready to come to church and you looked at that part of your closet where you were like, what was I thinking when I bought that? It seemed wise at the time, but terribly foolish today when I look at that. There are things like that through all of our lives, things that seemed wise at the time, but turned out to be foolish. But the truth is, there are also things that we do that are foolish but in retrospect, seem wise. Things that you look back and you think back and say, yeah, that was pretty wise. I should have done it that way. I still can hear the sound of my dad reminding me as a child when I first learned to ride my bike, telling me, do not go down the big street with a big hill right next to our house. Do not go down that big hill. And I remember thinking to myself, dad, I am a professional bike rider at this point. I've been riding for 72 hours. I can do this. And I remember without him knowing, I went down that hill, crashed into a car, flew over the car, chipped my teeth, and for years had to go through dental procedures to fix those teeth that I broke in the front of my face. It seemed wise at the time, but in retrospect, it was terribly, terribly foolish. We all have these things in our lives that seem wise at the time, but turn out to be foolish. If you have your Bibles open this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very chapter that Pastor Brian was reading from earlier today. I'm going to go from a couple of verses at the end of chapter 1, and then we'll jump into chapter 2 as well. Let's do a little bit of interactive reading this morning. When I read, and you're looking up at the screen, every time you see a word that's highlighted green, please scream out that word with me as we get to it. And we'll be a little interactive this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm starting at verse 18. For the message of the cross is to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And then we jump to chapter 2, verse 12, where we read, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them... And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Maybe as you followed along with this, you noticed that there was a word that was repeated six times in Paul's quick little section there. The word foolishness. And that word is not necessarily used to describe the world and the way other people do things. It's used to describe the gospel. It's used to describe the cross. It's used to describe the way of Christ as people in the world would see it. It makes no sense. It's absurd. As Pastor Brian was leading us in communion, he said that if you are going to establish God's kingdom on earth, how would you do it? And every way that we can come up with seems smarter than having God come and die for us. Than having God himself hung up on a cross for my sin. It seems smarter than that way. It all looks like foolishness when you look at the Gospels, when you look at what Christ is saying. And I think for us to understand what's happening in this passage that we read this morning, we have to understand the context of what's taking place. Corinth, the church, the city that Paul is writing to, is, was one of the most metropolitan cities of the time in ancient Greece. In, in, that Greek, in, that, in, in that Greek culture, Corinth was this hub of culture, of art, of wisdom, of great philosophy. It was a center of commerce, so people would come through Corinth to conduct business. It was a city filled with smart people conducting business. It felt like Boston. It was filled with culture and language and people from many different cultures coming to one place. But Corinth was also filled with immorality. It was people pursuing their own pleasures, doing what was best to them, wise to them, whatever made them happy in the moment. That's what Corinth was all about. And in the middle of this metropolitan hub was this church that Paul was writing to. 
this church of people who are living in that very city. And he's writing to them with these words of advice, particularly about their relationships with one another. Throughout 1 Corinthians, this is what we see Paul saying over and over again. You're having problems between your marriages, in your marriages. You're having problems in your church. You're having conflict and tension among one another. And throughout this book, he uses this passage particularly about the foolishness of the message of the cross to remind them what their relationships should look like. In fact, all of 1 Corinthians is built around this idea that if you understand the cross, you'll do better in all of your relationships. And so these Corinthian believers would come back to Paul and say, Paul, everything you're saying sounds good right now, but if you know the city that we're living in and the culture that we're in, it looks like foolishness to the people we're around. We sound like the dumb people of the culture that we would worship this God who died on a cross, that day does not make any sense. And so Paul responds to them with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This idea of you're looking for wisdom, you're looking for philosophers, you're looking for the wisdom of the world, but I'm going to share with you something that's going to sound foolish to the people of this world. You know, this past week I was listening on the radio and uh, a group of comedians were talking on the radio. And I remember listening to them for a couple of minutes and then the conversation turned to religion and then it turned to Christianity. And for about five minutes I listened to them unveil or reveal their thoughts on Christianity. And I can't repeat what they said because it was that insulting. They were mocking the simple idea of people in the 21st century believing in something that some man said 2,000 years ago. They thought it was absurd and ridiculous that you would conduct your life today based on some supposed miracles that took place thousands of years ago. It makes no sense. It's absurd. I know I was tempted to change the channel, but I kept it on there just to hear it more and more, to feel what it feels like to hear some of the things we talk about on a Sunday in the ears of someone who doesn't necessarily believe it. In fact, do you know that some of the earliest depictions of Christianity that we have even today are actually graffiti that was drawn or carved into Roman walls in the first century? Graffiti that was mocking Christianity. So this is from right around the, the first 100 years, right after Christianity. This is a Roman wall, and you'll see the carving on one side, and you'll see what the carving actually looks like on the other side. It's a picture of a donkey hanging on a cross, and this man coming to worship that donkey hanging on a cross. And in fact, the little engraving says, Alexamenos, which was the name of some person at the time, a Christian at the time, Alexamenos worships his God. It was meant to mock this man. We've had this for thousands of years in our society. Christians, you guys are ridiculous for what you believe. And so Paul starts this letter, starts this section of this letter by simply saying, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What's the message of the cross? 
We hang crosses in our churches. Some of us wear crosses around our necks. Have you ever stopped to think what you're wearing? A cross was widely considered to be the most humiliating torture device in history. It was a place to not only slowly and painfully kill a person, it was meant to do it in the way that would bring them the most shame. People were crucified naked. They were crucified and having to gasp for breath every single minute for numbers of hours until they died this brutal, torturous death on a cross. And we hang them in our churches. We wear them around our necks. That would be like me going to someone right here in Belmont, our neighbor, and saying to them, Hey, I'm selling necklaces with electric chairs on them. Would you like to buy one? It makes no sense. It's absurd. And Paul comes to the church in Corinth, this church that's living in a cultural hub and struggling with their faith in the middle of a, of a culture that thinks their faith is ridiculous. And he says to them, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It makes no sense. For those of you who are visiting today or maybe newer to church or maybe this is early in your process of finding out about God, let me help you understand the message of the cross a little bit. When God creates men, he creates them in this perfect environment to have perfect harmony and relationship with them. He creates them in perfection. And there's nothing wrong with God's creation. But man decides that I can do it better than God, so I will find a different way from God's way, and I will sin, and sin separates us from God. And so there's this constant gap that exists between God and his love for us and us and our desire to sin and this gap that cannot be crossed, this chasm that separates us from God. And all of scripture from the Old Testament through to the New Testament, it's this constant quest for man to somehow reconcile back to God first by using the law and trying to live in such a way where I'm so good and righteous and somehow I'll reconcile back to God and that's found to be wanting that's not enough to just be good. And so God sends prophets and kings and all of these people to pass his message down to predict that one day when even if you cannot connect and bridge that chasm, I will find a way to connect and bridge that chasm back to you and me. And over thousands of years, there are these prophecies made that one day God himself would do what we could never do to reconcile that relationship. And then the New Testament comes and Jesus is born. When Jesus comes, he fulfills not only all of the prophecies and the words of the law in the Old Testament. He comes and says, I'm going to make all things right again. I'm going to make it new again. And how will I make it new? How will I make it right? I'll take your place on a cross and I'll die for you in a place where you could never do enough good to reconcile that relationship. I'll do it for you. Jesus, the Son of God, goes to the cross. He's tortured, humiliated, and dies this brutal death for us, and then goes to the grave, and on the third day rises again, and he gives us this church and this command to say, Church, now you go and live in such a way that what I just did makes sense to all of the rest of the world that will come after us. 
It makes no sense. It's foolishness to this world. But here's the truth of the gospel that you and I have to reconcile. Was the cross something that just happened 2,000 years ago? Something that I believe happened? Something that I accept happened? Or was the cross something that happened 2,000 years ago that affects the way I live today? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So, does that mean the cross was something that I believe happened, or is the cross something that happens in my life every day? How many of you woke up this morning and asked the question, what time is it really? I still am struggling with that, by the way. What time is it really? Why? Because you looked at one of your clocks and it said 8 o'clock and another clock said 9 o'clock. And you struggled with what time is it really and based on what time it is, you knew that what am I actually supposed to do right now would be affected. Can I sleep another hour or is it time to get up? Should I go to the gym or should I sleep another hour? What I'm actually supposed to do right now is affected by what time it actually is. And the message of the cross, if you believe it's something that happened to someone 2,000 years ago, then it has no impact on what you do today. But if the message of the cross is something that affects my life right now, then that's going to change the way I live right now. You see, your understanding of the cross affects every interaction every day. Your understanding of the cross affects every interaction every single day. So is the gospel, is the message of the cross something that happened or is it something that's happening right now? Now, how do we know it's happening or how does it happen to us every day? Let me ask you this. Is there something in your life that someone outside of the world of, of Christ would look at and say, that's foolish? He or she is foolish for doing that. I hope so. Maybe it's even getting up on a Sunday morning and rather than sleeping in and running errands, you came here. That just seems foolish to me. Wait a second. You love and care for your spouse even when that person doesn't make you happy anymore? That seems foolish to me. You sacrificially give a percentage of your earnings to ministries here and abroad rather than just using it for yourself? That seems foolish to me. You would rather stay single and pursue your calling for Christ than pursue transactional relationships every weekend? That seems foolish to me. You'd rather deny yourself pleasure and go and join a community group or go and be a part of this church that you're a part of? That seems foolish to me. 
You'd rather pray for your unsaved family members and find radical ways to love them than just cut them out of your lives? That seems foolish to me. You see, what Paul is saying is simply this, that when it comes to our relationships, we are not governed by the wisdom of the world. We are governed by the foolishness of the cross. This idea that I will live so sacrificially that I would rather die to myself and give of myself than accomplish what makes me happy in the moment or what rewards me right now. Foolish relationships are built around a foolishness of the gospel according to this world. That what Jesus did for me on the cross affects every relationship that I'm in. So very quickly, how do we do this? What does it look like to have a foolish mindset, a foolish relationship? I think one of the first things that the message of the gospel, the message of the cross teaches us is that we are not the center. And it reminds us to move from the middle of our relationships, to move from being the middle of every relationship. Think about what Jesus did. He left the glory of heaven to come down to this lowly earth as a baby to suffer and die for others. He moved from the middle so that you and I could have life everlasting. One of the first things that a gospel-centered relationship does is it moves out of the middle. I stop being the center of that relationship. Think about every relationship that we're in. Every relationship, in some way or another, I am occupying the center of that relationship. But the message of the cross is the one that we first have to start with. Have you built your relationship with Christ in such a way that you are in the center of that relationship? Jesus, I'll believe what you said. I'll accept your death on the cross as long as it gives me these things here on earth. Money and respect and power and happiness and peace. It gives me these things on earth, then I will accept what you have said. I'm still in the middle of that relationship. I'll believe you as long as I get what I'm looking for. And our relationship with the cross affects every other relationship we're in. So if I'm at the center of my relationship with Christ, then I'm usually going to be at the center of every relationship I'm in. Yeah, I'm married to someone else, but I'm looking for me to be happy. Yeah, I have children, but I want to raise them in a way that I ultimately get the most for myself. Yes, I'm part of a church, but I'm only going to show up when I get what I want. I'm only going to serve when I hear what I want to hear. I'm at the center. And the message of the cross is that we come and we move out of the middle. And we let Christ inhabit the middle, but we've got to be in a place where we move out of the middle. In fact, the entire message of the gospel is to come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once famously said, you know, the, the, the famous uh, man in Germany, the philosopher, teacher in Germany who was captured by the Nazis and later killed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man... He bids him to come and die. Not come and get everything you want. It's to come and die. Die to myself. 
die to my aims, die to all of my aspirations, so that ultimately Christ and his kingdom can expand. It's death that leads to life. Jesus said it like this, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you see how daily the gospel is? How regular the cross is? Every day, I'm carrying my cross, meaning my own death, to follow after Jesus. In 2001, a 19-year-old young man in Philadelphia tragically lost his life in a car accident. I don't know this young man's name. He dies in this accident. His family must have thought it was the worst day that they could have ever imagined. He's gone. But do you know as a result of his death, my mother-in-law, Alin's mom, was able to receive a kidney that has extended her life for 21 years. Death that leads to life. When we follow the gospel, when we accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't just accept what happened 2,000 years ago. I recognize that what Jesus did on the cross requires me to do the same every day. To move out of the middle, die to myself, take up my cross and follow after him. I would rather see God's kingdom expand than let my own expand in many cases. I'd rather love my wife in such a way where it's sacrificial and giving even if I don't necessarily receive it back in, in return. I want my relationships to look foolish to this world. So what does Paul say? Start with the cross. Go back to the message of the cross, which is foolishness to those who are perishing. But he doesn't just say, die to yourself and move out of the middle. He says, you've got to embrace your replacement, the one who did go to the cross on your behalf. You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to this world because it makes no sense that you wouldn't be at the middle of everything. That you wouldn't be at the heart of your own happiness. The world tells us like this. You get one life. This is your life. Live it for your happiness. But the gospel says you have this life. Die to it. Give it to Christ and see what happens. Live for him and see what happens. Embrace your replacement means I know now that if I move out of the middle, someone else has to occupy that middle. I would rather it be Jesus Christ in the middle and all of my other relationships in the middle so that I could accomplish his purpose. I'll move out of the middle and I'll embrace who I am replaced by. I'm not sure if you've heard this, but there's an election this week. And all for the last months and months, maybe even years, we've been hearing about this big election that's taking place on Tuesday. I find elections kind of uh, annoying in general. I find politicians a little annoying in general. But my favorite annoying characteristic of the politician is the concession speech after the election. Here's what happens. For one year, you've been telling us how incapable that other person is. How awful and terrible that person, their family, their party, everything about them is. 
And then tonight you'll stand up after you lose the election and say, I completely support that person. That person is fantastic. I love them. Do you actually believe that's what they think? You see, there's something about that hypocrisy that we can pick up on quickly. And when it comes to the message of the gospel, this is what we often do. We don't actually believe what we're saying. We're saying that, Jesus, you're at the center. That the cross is the, the, the hope of my salvation, the strength of my life. This is everything to me is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But when I live every day, I don't live that way. I don't live sacrificially. I don't live as if Jesus is at the center of it all. Why? Because I would rather my life look wise to the wisdom of this world than look foolish to this world, than to accept the foolishness of the cross. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary to Central America, famously said these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You may remember he says this just a short time before he goes to his death trying to bring the gospel to a very specific tribe uh, within Central America. How did he look at his life? He held on to his life so loosely to believe that Christ ultimately has my eternity, so I'll hold on to my life so loosely that people in this world will think it's foolish. And that, effect, that foolishness affects every relationship I'm in. I'll hold on to my life so loosely. I'll lay down my own life. I'll lay down myself so that someone else can draw closer to Christ. And over these next few weeks, we're going to explore that. What would our marriages look like if we lived foolishly? What would parenting look like if we lived foolishly? What would it look like to be a single here in the Boston area in 2022 if we were to live foolishly? What would it look like in our church? What would it look like in our communities if we were to live this way foolishly with the cross at the center, with Christ in the center and us moving away from the middle? What would it look like? You know, Paul uses a couple of words. He says like this in 1 Corinthians 10. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Paul says, I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. It's the foolishness that keeps coming out. I won't go after what's mine. I won't lay down my, I won't follow after my rights. I won't try to claim my rights. I'll think of the opportunities that I have to share the gospel. The opportunities that I have to love someone else and bring them closer to Christ. I'll lay down my rights in order to see the opportunities with Christ. And invite our worship team back up. Paul ended that chapter that we just talked about by saying, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ was that I will love these people so much that I will give my life for them. That was his mind. And Paul says, we have the mind of Christ that every day I'm around all kinds of people and I will love them sacrificially. I will love them the way Christ loved me on the cross. A few minutes ago, we saw Alexa Manos 
worshiping his God. It was this graffiti that was drawn on a wall in Rome. Do you know when archaeologists dug up that wall, they moved just a couple of yards further down that wall, and they found another inscription. The people of Rome were reckless with their graffiti. There was another inscription on the wall, and it simply said, Aleximenos is faithful. It was one person who had mocked Aleximenos, and another person who knew Aleximenos and said, no, you've got it wrong. He's not just bowing down to some donkey who died on a cross. He's given his life to a savior and died to himself, and as a result, that leads to life everlasting. Aleximenos is faithful. I want to ask us this question tonight before we close. If the world looked at you, would they see you as wise or would they see you as foolish? I would rather be foolish by the standards of this world so that I can embrace the wisdom of the cross, that Christ came and died for me and because of that I have life. Now I will go every day and die to myself so that others can have life. I will live that way. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. And just listen to the words of Philippians chapter 2. This is the same Paul writing to another church, and he writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, are you willing to live foolishly? Lord, we thank you for this time this morning that we could come into your presence and be reminded that the wisdom of this world will pass. The quest for my own personal happiness will pass. Success as measured by this world will pass. Money and riches and power and authority will pass. But Lord, what you did on the cross will never pass. That by going to the cross and dying for my sin, you not only overcame the power of sin and death, Lord, you reminded me how I'm supposed to live each day. Dead to myself and alive to you. Lord, I pray that this would be true in our relationships. That I would die to myself more and more every day and live to you. Thank you for your presence this morning. God, I lift up every one of us who are going through a struggle in our relationships struggles within our own homes and struggles with those that we know and work with and live with and live among. God, I pray in the days ahead, you would open up opportunities for us not to claim our own rights, but to ultimately see people through the grace that you saw us through. Teach us to be foolish. 
In Jesus' loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to rise to your feet as we close in worship this morning.